Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. Fear is disguised as like challenges that are here to help you grow. To, to see like, do you really want this? Or is this really where your heart is? Or, you know, how much are you willing to grow? Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back. Truth Prescription, episode number 39, I believe. Today, I have the honor of talking to Kelly Reese. Hey, Kelly. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. Excellent. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Kelly, I'm going to give uh, give the people a little bit of background on you. Um, I was actually um, tickled to find out that you um, founded a bakery in my uh, hometown of Brooklyn <laughs> back in 2000. Um, you did that for a couple of years. And then uh, she actually spent 17 years as a natural, f- as a, an executive in the natural food uh, market. Um, it's a 30, $30 million company. And she did that for a very long time. And then at some point she said, you know what? The hell with all this. I'm going to Tulum, and, uh, <laughs> which is where she resides now. And for those of us who are geographically challenged, Tulum is on the uh, eastern tip of Mexico sort of hanging out there right across from Cuba. Um uh right you know right on right in the uh, Caribbean Sea. And uh since she's left her exact job and, and I believe actually before she moved but as she was transitioning she she's written two books. The first one is The Destiny Roadmap and the little guidebook to face fears, embrace change and discover your calling. And her second most recent book is The Relationship Roadmap. A spiritual guidebook to ditch the uncertainty and find clarity in your marriage, which uh, I guess it was semi-autobiographical <laughs> since she uh, <laughs> did the same thing. <laughs> yes, I found clarity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, found the clarity and hence uh, are no longer in that particular relationship. Yes, not in that way anyway. Yes, yes. But welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you for uh, for spending some time with the uh, Truth Prescription listeners. Um, so let's jump right in. Um, the the premise of our show, as we discussed, and I'll say it for anybody listening to the show for the first time, is that you know all successful people, um, no matter the industry, have had to go through and deal with certain truths. And as once they accepted those truths, whatever they were, they were able to break through. And continue on to uh, more and more success. So, Kelly, from your either prof- pro- professional, do you want to do professional or personal first? 
I got a choice. I want to do personal. Personal? I'm on <laughs> yeah. a roll, man. When I first started the show, every single guest, you know, always wanted to do professional, 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 because, you know, it's sort of distant and it's easy. But lately I've been getting every, like the last five people have been saying personal. So I'm happy about that. You know, let's dive right in. All right. So uh, give us a give us a, a personal story that relates to a truth that you were, were ignoring. And once you accepted it, we're able to kind of break free. You know, the thing that I that I really uh, champion is that we can be friends with our fear. Fear does not have to stop us from doing things that uh, feel extremely scary and barf worthy. Um, in fact, when I want to barf, that's when I know that I should go forward, (laughs) that I'm on the right track. Right. Yeah. For a long time fear, uh, I did the things, but oh my gosh, I was so miserable, like pushing my way through the fear. Um, and I've learned to really just embrace the, I've learned to embrace it and to make those choices in a way that I just embrace the unknown and feel more comfortable with the fact that I don't have to have it all figured out. And that sounds great. Can you, can you give us an example uh, or story about when a a time when you sort of allowed the fear to manage you and then, um, (laughs) 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 and then a a time afterward when um, you had still had fear. Cause I think one of the things that people don't realize is that, you know, as a human being, you're going to feel fear. There's, you know, the only people, only entities that don't feel fear are robots. And, uh, you know, we have skin, <laughs> blood, bones, and a heart, and, uh, we're going to feel fear. I think it's a, it's a natural, natural thing. Uh, but you can also tell us uh, about a, a situation where after you learn how you were able to sort of manage your own fear. Yes. Um, when I graduated from, college. So back in the early nineties in California, um, made a last minute decision to move to New York city, a place I'd never wanted to move to. Um, (laughs) but other plans fell through and my friend's brother said, if you guys want to come to New York, you can live with us. And I looked at her and said, I'll go if you go. And she's like, I'll go if you go. (laughs) I was like, how did we make that decision? And then all of a sudden we got further into this whole thing. I was like, do I even want to move to New York? Um, but really that was my fear talking. And I wasn't one of those people who looked at New York city and thought, Oh, I can't wait to get there someday. But I grew up outside of San Francisco. So I wasn't, you know, immune to a big city type of feeling, but I made the decision and then was miserable for probably the first year, the drive across the country, all of it. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't adjust fast enough to the fact that I was in New York city. And so everything, because it was new, everything was like, you know, the subway would stop in the middle of the tunnel and I would think like, Oh my God, we're going to get stuck. I had all these thought processes about, you know, what was going to happen. Um, and just, it was things like that, that continued through, through much of the move out there and the winding up moving, moving out there, driving out there across country and then living there at least the first year, year and a half. Wow. I have since learned that it takes a good year to adjust, but you don't have to be miserable <laughs> through the process. <laughs> you can find acceptance and, and know that things are new. And that's, and that's the a process that you're going to go through when you take on something big like moving or 
dissolving a relationship or leaving a job or you know something like that any transitions where you will get into it but where you find yourself in that void place that you talk about yes okay so that was that was a a, a situation filled with fear now how about a situation another situation where you were um a little more in uh, i don't want to say the use the word in control but that you were you, you were a better manager <laughs> I have I have one that sort of is a combo platter. Oh, combo! All right. <laughs> so when I left when I left my six figure job, I spent the last year somewhat year year and a half. I was working with an executive coach just to kind of make sure that the decision I was making was the right decision. When you're going to walk away from a six figure job and you're the primary earner in the family uh, in your couple. Um, it's a, it's a decision you don't take lightly. And I really enjoyed the job, but, um, all signs were pointing to, uh, something's not right here. And so, um, you know, I took the time to make sure that like, as I write in my, my first book, I say my round peg didn't fit in the square hole any longer. <laughs> and, um, and I was glad that I took that time, but I also stayed way longer than I should have because it was, it was a painful year of, you know, trying to make the right decision. Once I made the decision, I felt this huge weight lift and I just, I just thought, oh my God, this is about freedom. This is about me feeling free to do what it is I really want to do and not be saddled with this career any longer with, you know, with the 200 people I was trying to affect change with, I could reach a huge audience, a much bigger audience and try to have an effect on a larger population than just the employees who were working in that, in that company, you know, and many of them were there for their paycheck. They weren't there to um, shift their perspective and understand that happiness is a choice and that, you know, we can create an incredible environment to work in. So once I made that decision and understood that, it's about the journey and going, letting go really, and not trying to control everything. I would, I'm a recovering control person. <laughs> recovering sure. control addict, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so once, once I made the decision and just released myself from that place I talk about in my book about the void, the place between what was and what will be. And you know, one door closes and another door opens. There's this dark place in between that is the unknown. Um, when you're in the indecision process, you're already in the, what I call the void. And that's what people don't understand. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, I just have to release and trust. And it's not easy to do. Um, it, not for brings, control freak. No. <laughs> not for <laughs> someone who likes to know the plan. <laughs> right. I need to know it right now, exactly. yesterday. I need to know what's going to happen tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you know a few people like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Your personal truth is you ba basically, you have to make fear your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To make when fear you do, like, life changes in amazing ways. Yeah. A lot of the reason that people stay stuck where they are is because of the fear, because it, your fear doesn't want you to go out and do something bold. <laughs> That's just not how it's, how it works, you know, it's there to protect you. So, um, yeah, once I realized that it was all BS, like, you know, <laughs> once I realized that it was like, Oh my God, this is just for me to actually like, um, you know, it's like, fear is disguised as like challenges that are here to help you grow 
to, to see like, do you really want this? Or is this really where your heart is? Or, you know, how much are you willing to grow on this path? I really like that fear, fear is disguised as challenges to help you grow. All right. So, so that was your personal. I do a little bit of professional in there too. Do you, do you have one for the professional? Or do you think that that encompasses both? I have, I think I have one for the professional. Okay. Talk to the people. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I think I came up with for the professional is that if you're no longer where you're meant to be, the universe and your soul is going to be screaming at you to do something about it. You know, like if you're sitting in meetings and you just can't stand them anymore. If you're daydreaming about something else or you're not engaged at work or you're depressed or you're just wondering, like, is this all there is? There's a reason. I remember we talked about, I think I talked about that in a, in a previous show. We were talking about that. If you're, if you're doing something and your energy is being drained instead of being um, fulfilled um, or replenished, then there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, you can't ignore it. And so many people are ignoring it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's, our, that's part of our society, as I'm sure you know. We, we're, we're definitely pushed towards the, the distractors, as I call them. Yeah. The thing about the universe, the universe is that it gets, it gets louder. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> like, it's true. oh, wow, maybe I need to pay attention. You know, yeah. that's what happened in my job. Yeah. Or it becomes a, it becomes a physical ailment. You know, yeah. I think that's what exactly. Yeah, I had I had the I, it was I got um, incredible health challenges. Um, I had uh, fibroid tumors growing in my uterus from stress. I had um, what I just kept what I kept telling myself. The story I kept telling myself was, "Oh, when we get through this, everything's going to be okay after this." <laughs> <laughs> so I had this this idea that, oh, okay, this is really bad, but the next thing. We're not going to, after we get through this, it'll all be okay. And then the next thing was like, wow, we're going through another challenge. Okay. Well, when we get through this, but it was just like, okay, if this is how it is in this place, then this is not what I want to take on, you know? And I was in natural foods for even the place that I have, the restaurant and bakery in Brooklyn was a natural foods place. So I'd been in natural foods for 17 years, 20 years, actually, including that. And when it started to affect my health, like that was the, that was the last, like, uh, you know, straw that the universe dropped in my lap of like, okay, <laughs> now there's this. It was like, oh, okay. That I was unwilling to sacrifice my health. Okay. Got it. So it it's almost like it gave you the thing that you couldn't ignore anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. So the professional truth is almost... It's almost like if you're kind of like what we said, if your if your energy is being drained, it's time to move on. Yeah. Don't ignore those things that are happening where you're, the universe is like the universe is always giving us signs about our direction. It's just a matter of if you recognize them as signs or see or see where they're directing you <laughs> and want to see it, you know. Well, that's the hard part. I think, you know, so much of our education you know, and not just education, but our our culturalization is, you know, sort of affixed to ignoring things, distracting ourselves, not really. So you you got to sort of get over that hump first and then sort of feel what's happening 
and then and then all right now you know what's happening and then you got to want to deal with it so that's like three very distinct steps that are not easy none of them <laughs> yes yeah sometimes the pain it becomes too painful so you have to do something we don't have to wait until it gets to be that painful but oftentimes we do uh, because of the fear I know I was there. So yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, you have to learn how to make it your friend, which is mm-hmm. yes. which is a whole another <laughs> thing. But we that actually segues um, into my first question for you. Um, in your book, you kind of talk about you know when you're in the void and how you had all these negative voices. Um, what would you tell someone? I mean, you know, obviously we're going to say read the book, but give us a little bit of insight into um, how one can manage those voices in order to try to move forward. Oh, that, that jury in my head is really challenging. Um, and, uh, especially when you want to control everything, it, it's like, you know, having a party up there. So <laughs> I, um, I know my fear well, so I recognize it when it's happening now. Um, like I said, if, if I feel like I want to barf and like run the other direction, then I'm like, Oh, this is probably something that's going to be really amazing for me. Um, And so I laugh with my fear now. So (laughs) when it comes up, my first instinct is to um, giggle and laugh at it. (laughs) It sounds (laughs) kind of crazy, but it just kind of releases the pressure for like that. The amygdala is getting hijacked. It it releases that pressure for me where then I can actually, I, because the laughter helps me take some deeper breaths and then I can more into my body and be like, Oh, I know exactly what this is. And just remind myself. And this process happens very quickly for me now where it used to be a longer process for me where, um, I would have to use my breath in order to, uh, not in order to just calm my nerves. That's the, that's the best way to say it. And so I meditate a lot, um, so that I can have, uh, just that mindfulness about what's happening in my body. I'm really attuned and connected to what's happening with my body. So that when things do come up, it's like, Ooh, what's that? And I'm really curious, <laughs> very curious about uh, myself and just how I react to things and if, if it's valid or not. So I put myself in challenging positions a lot <laughs> just to, just to see <laughs> possible my trainer says this like sadistic thing which is you can inflict pain on yourself or pain will be inflicted upon you he always, <laughs> this is what he says to me while we're working out um which reminds me of that but you i wanted to just touch on two things quickly you you mentioned the amygdala, amygdala and for um people that don't know the amygdala is basically a primitive part of the brain that's derived um similar morphology from the monkey brain and it controls sort of our fear anger and, and our um instinctual um responses so that's what she was referring to when she says the amygdala and it, and we all have it and it all reacts um when we have some kind of fearful um or fight or flight um situation exactly And any other thing I wanted to just touch on is, you know, you made a really great point about really essentially using meditation as a tool. Um, And I don't know if I've said this before on the show, but I know I've spoken to friends about this, that the powerful thing about meditation is that it allows you to practice controlling your, I don't even say emotions, but your, your physical body. And so that when stresses come, 
you have some tools to be able to counteract it. That's all it is. It's just, you're just practicing. And, and so I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that as a way to sort of start to control those, uh, those negative voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. Let's, let's talk about your second book. Um, the relationship roadmap, uh, specifically, you know, if someone is out there listening to the show is considering divorce, um, based on some of the principles in your book, what would you say the first step would be? There's, there's so many choices that, um, a person can, there's so many roads and options that someone can take. Um, my book specifically is written for someone who wants to get clarity about their relationship. So they're wondering if they're still with the right person. Um, typically the women that I work with are, are in long-term relationships and they just feel like they've grown apart. Um, so my, what I actually work with the women on and I write about in the book is, um, coming to your relationship compassionately, uh, and with a loving heart, but having your back. So rather than, um, getting angry over the same things over and over again, which doesn't help anything, it doesn't help your partner or you, um, going back to that curiosity that I have about myself, this is where I discovered that I wasn't with the right person any longer is that I started to look at my relationship and my partner in a very different way. And I showed up in the relationship the way that I wanted to show up based on who I was growing into rather than a woman who, um, who kept showing up (laughs) 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 out of habit. Um, a lot of times we come to relationships with wounds that have nothing to do with our partners. And so I had some wounds that needed healing that really had nothing to do with him. But when I looked at what was truly happening in the relationship, I wasn't the same woman who married him 17 years ago. I had grown into a completely different person. And, um, I talk about the the list that we make, you know, to call in the right person. It's like that list wasn't even valid anymore. Um, many things that were on that list, uh, would be shifted, you know? So, um, I would say that the best, the best piece of advice I could give at this point, um, is to, show up in your relationship as the person that you really want to be and you want the person to be as well, your partner to be, because really what you're receiving in your relationship is what you're energetically putting out. So what if someone does that? They they show up and they begin to show up in a relationship um, based on um, how they want to be treated, essentially the golden rule, but that's not reciprocated then that's where you start asking the inconvenient questions. You start answering them. I call them inconvenient questions because lots of people don't want to answer them. Am I still with the right person? Am I still in the right place? Am I happy? A lot of times people don't even ask, am I happy? Um, women especially. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. The women that I work with, it's when I ask them that question, they actually have to think about it. Yeah. It's a complicated question. It is. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated question. Am, am I happy? You, I mean, you could take that many ways, but specifically, are they happy in the relationship? Yeah. That, that should not be that, you know, that should not be complicated. Yeah. And there's, there's things to take in consideration. Relationships fluctuate. Of course they, they go, you know, ups and downs and, um, it wasn't some, it was something that I thought about for five years, 
you know, it wasn't a rash decision. And after I left my job, amazing things were happening. Um, I even opened another business and I was like, okay. And because I was meditating, I was getting more in touch with, um, with my heart basically. And so when I was still not feeling fulfilled and I was unhappy, I really had to, I asked, you know, I sat and just, I sat in meditation and tears were streaming down my cheeks. And I just, I asked, what is this? And I heard my relationship. I was like, oh, I knew it was true. (laughs) So that was, that was the hard part. And then it was a process of having um, courageous conversations with my partner, ones that I did not want to have because I didn't know what they meant. You know, those are not easy to have. Are you are you still um, in communication with your ex partner? Yes, we're actually really good friends. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we have a group of friends that we go on vacation with every year, and we're still doing that. Um, you know, that's the amazing thing is that our relationship was not horrible by any means. We still had a lot of love in our relationship. We were friends. It was just, there were, there were things that were not, no longer felt in alignment. And so when we talked about it, it was like, and he's actually happier too. I mean, we just talked, I was just home at my house, um, that we both still own together and he was on the East coast and we talked about it and he's like, I think this is actually good for both of us. It was like, I was trying to turn him into somebody he wasn't, which is not fair to him or me. And, um, you know, and I think we kind of lost both of ourselves in the relationship in a way. And so this is just giving us an opportunity to still have each other in our lives. Because that was one thing that he said when I started talking about it was, you know, I just can't imagine not having you in my life. And I was like, I I was actually like a sigh of relief. I was like, well, I can't imagine not being in your life and you not being in my life. So then we started to work on, okay, well, how can we do this differently than, you know, the typical separation or divorce. And that's what we've been working on. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's going pretty well. That's fantastic. I, I wonder sort of as a side note, as you started to open up to him, did you discover some things that he hadn't been saying that he was also feeling? Some, but not so much. He actually, when I talked about it to him after I had that crying, that crying incident with my meditation and I talked to him about it then, and then things got a little better. And then I brought it up again a few months later and he thought that things were getting better. And I was just like, well, here's what I'm feeling. And he wasn't someone I talk energy and he wasn't someone who really, um, talked about feelings or emotions or energy in general. Um, the work I do is I do a lot of healing work and energy work. And so, um, that it's just, it was, we just both were growing in different directions, you know? Sure. Okay. Well, that, that, um, speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about your, um, you know, you're a, you're a life coach. Um, you do healing as well, but you're a life coach and you had your own executive coaches you spoke about at one point. Um, what do you think makes makes a good coach for for people that are listening that are thinking about becoming life coaches? What do you think makes a good coach? You know, I think that um, having somebody who what I look for in my coaches is someone who is where I want to be, so a little bit ahead of me, maybe a lot more ahead of me. It depends. Um, 
someone who asks amazing questions. I, I don't tell anyone what to do. Uh, what I do is I ask questions so that they can come to their own conclusions, but I ask really good questions and sometimes they don't want to answer those questions. But <laughs> those are the inconvenient questions that, you know, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't ask myself those questions. And so, um, I, I, I believe that when we're willing to answer the questions that were, were previously unwilling to answer and explore those, explore the options for <laughs> what the answers could be. Cause a lot of times when you're go on that, you know, discovery of answering those questions, sometimes it's not even close to what you thought it would be. You know, if people come to me for relationship work, um, I've had plenty of women who end up actually staying with the person that they're with and their relationship is completely transformed because we've actually put the focus on them and what it is they want. Some people walk away for sure and they need to, but others have stayed. Interesting. I heard, um, one of the one of the last interviews I did, um, person was saying that coaching the difference between coaching and psychotherapy is that psychotherapy focuses on the past, coaching focuses on the present and the future. Do you agree with that? I do. I was I did therapy for seven years, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. I I felt like you know coaching is more goal oriented. I call them intentions and like, you know, what do you want to achieve? Where do you want to get to? And so, you know, what needs to happen in order for that to happen for you to get there? And therapy was a lot of like looking back and no disrespect to therapy because it really helped me at the time. But, um, it, it is a lot of, you know, Oh, well, let's look at what your parents did to you. It's like, they're not a factor anymore. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, um, so yeah, I feel like it's a lot of looking backwards and, um, I don't, I don't know. I have a client right now. She's, she fired her therapist after 20 years, you know, she's, she 20 was like years. 20 years. Yeah. And she's like, this is huge. And I'm like, you're damn right. It's huge. <laughs> it's like 20 years with the same person that she saw once a week. She's like, I have a free hour every, every week now. <laughs> And I was like, well, and so we talked a lot about what she thought. She imagine did. how many, imagine how many dollars over 20 years. I know. Wow. My goal as a coach is that eventually they grow into a place where they have all these tools in their toolbox. And hopefully we're already, if they want to keep working with me, that's great. But we're like building upon all this foundation work that they've, that they've laid, you know? Talk, talk to us a little bit about your energy work um, on your website. Um, in your bio, it mentions that uh, you're a practical mystic. So talk a little <laughs> bit about what that means. And um, I mean, I'll be honest, with you, I've had Reiki done, but I'll be honest with you. I'm a little funny when it comes to, you know, having people deal with, you know, energy fields and, and, and things like that. It's You have to be very careful, I feel, with who you allow to do these this kind of work. So just talk a little bit about um, sort of your journey to be a practical mystic and what that is. Okay. I completely agree with you about, um, who you allow to work on you. Um, especially if you're sensitive and, uh, to energy, um, for the longest time I didn't get massages. I think I had like five massages and, you know, 15 years just because I spent more time processing the people that the massage therapist had worked on before me rather than enjoying the massage. Um, so I totally agree with that. Maybe not for the same reasons that you, <laughs> that you feel, but, 
um, yeah, I'm very careful about who I work with energetically. Um, a practical mystic is a name that was given to me, a title that was given to me, um, by the clients that I work with, because most of the people that I work with are not, um, they're just now, they're just coming into their understanding of, um, a deeper connection beyond what you can see around you in the three third dimension reality. Um, and so I, and I'm pretty down to earth. And so, um, I liked it because I, I, I talk to a lot of people who are really cautious of, um, spirituality or the woo woo closet kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> what they tell me, but I, um, I think it's because I have a background in business. Um, I ran a $34 million organization. Um, I'm just, I'm pretty practical, you know, and I use the skill set to bring the, where you are in this third dimension, all the things that you can see around you and combine it with what you can't see and the unknown and, um, guides and, uh, you know, that in that little internal voice inside is guiding you, um, making that stronger and understanding how to follow that rather than the fear essentially. Um, so I liked that title when I got it, I do readings. Um, that's, I also, I work as a life coach, but I also do readings for people. And, um, I read something called the Akashic records. And most people who find me are like, I have no idea what this is, but I just felt called to work with you. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> let's, uh, I think we're ready for yes or BS. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to make a statement and you can agree or disagree and you can expound if you like or not. Some, sometimes it's not necessary to, to explain self-explanatory. Okay. Number one, fear is necessary for success. Ooh, that's good. Um, no. BS. BS. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it might be necessary for growth, but not for success. Not all the time. Okay. The reason I asked that is because, um, I, I thought about people I know and even my own life, how so much of my quote unquote success had come from some particular fear that, that drove me. Now, again, the word success can mean a hundred things. Is it mm -hmm. financial success? Is it spiritual success? Is it, you know, relationship success? What, what the hell does that mean? Success would just mean waking up and being healthy, being able to, you know, run around the block and feed yourself, eat yourself, you know, a, a full mind and full body. So, um, but I know a lot of people whose, I'll call it financial successes, um, educational successes have come because of some real deep fear of something. Yeah. I mean, I am, I am where I am today because of, because I pushed through fear. Um, so that is true, but I, you have know, success is such a broad word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's, if it's pertinent for success. Yes. Okay. Number two. Oh, this is, this is a question for the practical mystic. <laughs> a person can talk to their heart. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. I believe that your heart is, um, like the eyes are the window to the, 
into the soul, your heart is the connection to the other side, to your guides, to um, your higher self. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I follow my heart. And if you want to find out how you can, some more information on how you can uh, talk to your heart, go to kellyreese.com. All right. (laughs) Number three, indecision is better than the wrong decision. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. BS. Oh, it's so painful and indecision. I can't agree with that. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. My point with this one was that sometimes we become frozen because we don't know what to do because we don't want to make the wrong decision. Yeah. But uh, sometimes making the wrong decision is the good because then you know, all right, now I'll just do the other thing. Right. (laughs) But the point is you're moving along your path. Yeah, forward. Forward movement is the most important thing. (laughs) Number four, travel facilitates change. 100% yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I just went to Italy um, for a month in July by myself. And I rented a car and drove around northern Italy. And um, I didn't know where I was going, but the first 10 days. And um, I came back knowing that I was way stronger than I ever gave myself credit for it. And that's after everything that I've done. I didn't speak the language. I'd never been to Italy. (laughs) It's just... I just kind of threw myself in and I was scared when I got off that plane. I was kind of like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. I followed my heart there. Talk to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. Some of the most transformational quickest change can happen when you travel, especially when you travel so well. Mm. Okay. Number five, Kelly Reese will move back to the U (laughs) S Where did you get these questions? <laughs> my, brain, my brain, my <laughs> brain. I don't know. I don't, last year, when I first moved to Tulum, I was like, I don't ever want to live in the U.S. again. But I just spent a month there and back in the Redwoods, which I love. And um, it was great. It was wonderful to see my friends and family. But I have noticed that um, I get lulled into comfort in the U.S. And... I don't feel as productive as I do when I'm living in Mexico. So I don't know. Let me live there again. Yeah. Mexico living. I mean, it's not, it's not a jungle. It's not a jungle, but it's, it is a jungle. It is a jungle. (laughs) It's a jungle out there. It's a lot different than, uh, you know, marble countertops and, uh, hardwood floors. So I think that one's up in, in between. Okay. Number seven. This one is another, you're going to say, where do you get these questions from? Number seven, (laughs) Kelly Reese will remarry. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) After all she's been through. I'm definitely not even dating. Um, So I never say never. Um, So I don't know. It's totally possible. Um, Yeah, that's another in between one. (laughs) My my show producer Jeannie, she she says yes is yes ish. That's what she says when when it's, like in, it. when it's in between. <laughs> Number seven, wealth is a state of mind. Oh yes, yeah. I have realized I don't. There's like I don't need much to be happy. I mean, I don't have a lot of stuff here in Tulum. I live in a 
place that's furnished and, um, you know, everything I have right now fits in like two big suitcases and a couple backpacks maybe. Um, and I'm so much happier than when I had all the, all the stuff I bought. The BMW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> two homes, a BMW and yeah, all that stuff. I'm just, I'm so much happier now. It just simplified and, um, just working with people and helping them through their lives is really gratifying. Yeah. It's interesting when you cut back sort of on your, you know, your expenses. I mean, if we're just talking brass tacks, if you cut back on your expenses, then you can, you have a a little bit more flexibility with, you know, how you can make income for yourself because you don't, you know, you don't have the, the exorbitant car notes and mortgage and all these other things that sort of drive or, you know, justify working the amount of hours and, and, and putting the amount of time in that you do that you did when you, you know, had your, your, your corporate job. Yes. You're on the, the treadmill of more. Yeah. That's yeah. A, I like that. The treadmill of more. Yeah. All right. My last one. Number eight, uh, success is destined. Mm. <laughs> I have to think about this one. <laughs> um, you know, just to give you a little more context, the question really is, is success uh, inevitable or is it the a result of uh, work and planning? That's kind of really what, like if somebody's going to be successful, do you think that they will just be successful, you know, regardless? People get in their way all the time. So I believe that we come here to learn certain lessons that we have chosen for ourselves and things are pre-fated, um, including some of the ba- major decisions, um, who you marry, if you're, if you're getting married, if you're having children, um, all kinds of stuff. But what happens is we get in our way <laughs> and we, we start to, uh, look at the things that happen to us. Some people look at those things as, um, negative where I tend to look at things that happen to us as um, opportunities for growth. I even call that one of the chapters in my book is called just another growth opportunity. And so I, when you have that outlook, then I believe that success is inevitable because you, you're not going to let things get in your way. doesn't mean you won't get upset or rough things won't happen to you. It's just you uh, limit the amount of time that you're going to, let yourself be brought down by that. That you're going to get sidetracked. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that we are limitless. We are the ones that place the limit, what we can achieve. I think that's a good place to end it. That was great. Mm. Absolutely. (laughs) We are the ones that place the limits on what we can achieve. All right. Kelly, tell the people how they can reach you uh, if they want to um, either, you know, get some coaching or just uh, pick up your books. Where can they, where can, how can they contact you? Uh, my books are on my website, uh, www.kellyreese.com. And my readings are on there as well. And then I have a very fun and growing group of connected people on Instagram, which is kelly.reese. Um, I, I talk with everybody on Instagram and <laughs> we have great conversations and I post on there daily. So that's probably a great place to get in touch with me as well. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been so fun. Um, you know, you're in Mexico, but I feel really connected. And um, this is a great conversation. And I, I hope people um, are able to, to, to get a lot out of it. 
Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free. If you let it.